Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Alright, what's up steampunk alamancers? This is Steven, your host for Phantology, along with my lifelong friend Ben and a special guest. It's always fun when we have uh, someone come on with us. And today we have Mike from Michael Nip uh, YouTube channel. So uh, Mike, thank you so much for taking some time with us. And I, I think we're all kind of excited to talk about Alloy of Law, especially with the new book, uh, The Lost Metal, kind of looming over us in november right yes i I, i'm i'm very very hype (laughs) and it's been so little background for me on era two i have only read them once and i read them back in like 2013 whenever that was when shadow self and bands of morning came out in the same year i think it was 2013 and so it's been it's been years and my memory of the era two has been kind of pretty foggy at this point but honestly, looking back, I always kind of thought of it as like Sanderson's weakest work. Like I was not a big Era 2 guy. And uh, and, and I haven't reread the rest of Era 2. I've only reread Alloy of Law so far, working my way through. Um, by, by the time November comes around, I want to be ready. But spoiler alert, I did like Alloy of Law a lot better than I remember liking it the first time. So for what it's worth, give Era 2 a shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we go too much further into it, Michael, I want to give you a chance to plug um, plug yourself. Where can viewers find you, um, and how can they interact with you? Yeah. Hey, that's that's my bad. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so you're just too too ready to talk about yeah era two. Right. <laughs> that's fine. I'm also eager to talk about era two. Uh, yeah, I have a YouTube channel called Michael Nip, and it's where I talk about uh, all the books that I'm reading. It's uh, it's mostly booktube focused. It's mostly science fiction, fantasy focused, and uh, I'm a huge fan of the Cosmere. And a huge fan of Era 2. So I was very excited for this opportunity. Yeah. And I found Michael because of the YouTube algorithm. And um, the video it suggested was you talking about the Kickstarter campaign. And I appreciated your thoughts on that. Um, And so, you know, that was a very exciting time for, I guess, all the Sanderson community. So if you're looking for some fresh takes on on the Kickstarter campaign, then I would encourage people to go look at those videos of yours. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. I was, it, that was such a surprise when that Kickstarter was announced. And um, <laughs> yeah. I, I went through each of the, the, the videos as we got the preview chapters. So obviously if you, if you don't want that spoiler information, don't check out those videos. But if you yeah. do, uh, I, I gave my thoughts for each one and I was pleasantly surprised by all of them. <laughs> yeah. They've been super good. Um, and then, and then the cherry on top was the prologue to um, book five. So that was just crazy. Yes. I actually haven't read that yet. Oh my goodness! Well, but I've heard I've heard things. <laughs> oh, well, what that make what me... are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, what is I've going heard, on? I've heard things, and they make me want to read it so bad. But I, it's one of those things where Stormlight is so like 
deep and dense that I yeah. wanted to give it the proper amount of time. And uh, mm. so, yeah, I feel bad, but well, <laughs> don't feel bad. So, so are you not going to read until the book is out? Are you... I haven't, I haven't in the past. I haven't read preview chapter stuff in the past, but mm. since I was reading the preview chapters for the Kickstarter books, I realized that it's really fun to get excited about something, yeah. even if it's in the distant future. So I probably uh, will end up checking that's, out. That's where I'm at as like fantasy has slowly overtaken my life, right? Like it used <laughs> to just be like, oh, I read a book when it comes out. Now it's like, I love talking about them. I love like um, theorizing. And so it's kind of become like, I, I that experience is more like, like true to myself right now than um, having it all, like reading it all at once. So that's kind of where I'm at, but you're right. Mm. Everybody does it differently. Like some people don't like even the hint of spoilers until, um, until they're actually reading the book. There are some people that are even trying to avoid hearing the titles before the books show up in their <laughs> inbox. And I, I think that's going to be really hard because I mean, most books, you know, the title of before they come mm -hmm, out, but right. I, I, I admire people that have that level of commitment to try to even avoid those spoilers, especially because the only reason you know about those people are because you like found them online. And the very fact that they're online, it's like you, the moment you log on to Twitter, like you are like serious risk of spoilers. Yeah. It's like Absolutely. right there in YouTube thumbnails and titles. Yeah. How are you? Good luck to them. Good luck. You don't to even them. know what to mute if you, if you don't want to know the titles. So yeah. it's going to be even more difficult. I know. So um, that brings up a good point though. Stephen, what's our spoiler, spoiler um, level for this um, podcast discussion? Yeah, I think we'll, can we just keep it to no further than the alloy of law? Partially selfish reasons for me, because I, <laughs> I it's been so many years that I honestly don't remember all the details of books two and three. So nice. I want to, I want to read those and, and kind of yeah. rediscover. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. So basically um, we are free to spoil, spoil anything from era, era one. Uh, right. So any character development for some reason, if you want to talk about that, whatever, feel free to, um, but nothing after, uh, er, after the alloy of law and we'll try and avoid other Cosmer spoilers too. Right. Like we're, we're not going to, um, go and spoil something from Stormlight or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a ton of opportunities to talk about other, I mean, sure. We, we could kind of force it in there, but I, I don't think it's yeah. too natural to jump into other Cosmer stuff anyway. Not I'm just saying if you're worried yet. about it. Yeah. Like if, you know, if you're a listener mm -hmm. and you're, so that's kind of where we're at. So, okay. So that's all the business. Yeah. yeah sh shall we time to, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of rushed into my history <laughs> with era two and my impressions. And now my, my second impression being a lot more positive. So how was that for you guys? Like uh, Mike, you said you're a big fan. Is this a, a multiple, multiple read situation for you? So I, Last year, I think it was, I basically spent my entire year catching up on the Cosmere and I sort of <laughs> read all of the Cosmere in one year. And so I, I had never really read any of the Cosmere books at all before that year. And Miss Bernera oh, 2 okay. was, was the last books that I got to. So mm. I think that part of my enjoyment for era two was um one i think my expectations were set a, a pretty low because a lot of people seem to not like era two but then also i had been diving into these you know 500 plus pages books um epic fantasy for that entire year you know it wasn't just cosmere i read some other big stuff too and then when i picked uh -huh. up era two and it was mm -hmm. such a different change of pace <laughs> and change of tone i was just like this is 
I, I had a hard time relating to why people wouldn't like it. And then I realized after the fact, like hearing like, oh, if you wanted more things like Miss Bonera one, this is very different, but that is what appealed to me. Um, last year I read, you know, all, all three of the Miss Bonera two books that we have. And then I, I was planning on doing a reread for, for the, the fourth book coming out this year. And I reread uh, book one, Alloy of Plaw. I finished it today. And so I'm, oh, nice. I'm fresh oh, off nice. it again. Okay. And, um, I really enjoy it. You're yeah. the expert. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I was kind of contemplating in preparation for this was, you know, when this came out, when the Alloy of Law came out, I don't think a lot of people really understood the direction that Sanderson was going with, with the Cosmere, mm-hmm. right? And so when you have this sudden mm-hmm. like yeah. steampunk Western book after Mistborn, it's, it's, very kind of jolting you know so the fact that you kind of had those expectations going into it and you weren't all of a sudden reading a steampunk book that you weren't expecting that probably helped a lot i think being prepared or at least ready for something so drastically different shaped a lot of my initial impressions yeah when it came out this was before brandon sanderson was brandon sanderson and and we all knew his whole cosmere plan and everything like 2011 i i had read had i read i i must have read uh, uh, the original mistborn trilogy maybe the way of kings at that point i honestly don't even remember and and i did not have the understanding of like oh this is this like side thing and there's three gonna be three different eras and 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 all of that like now this is like well documented and it's everywhere on the internet but back then i mean brandon had only had a handful of books published and and, and honestly wasn't super big yeah, Dan Wells refers to Brandon Sanderson as Brandon freaking Sanderson on the podcast now when he's talking about like the, you know, so I agree with that. I I think that, and this was kind of like his original side, pro- like a secret project, right? Like nobody really knew this was coming out. Nobody, first this of all, was it was the wasn't, first of the secrets. <laughs> yeah, the first of the secrets, right? And it wasn't even supposed to be a, a trilogy, or not even a trilogy. It wasn't even supposed to be more than one book, right? It was just supposed yeah. to be a, a side project thing for him. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I he wanna, was kind of peer pressured. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, I I I heard some kind of rumor that basically he was on a plane flight and he had the idea and he wrote it or at least most of it on a plane, and then he ended up liking it, released it, and then it took off. <laughs> that sounds right. I've I I've can, heard I'll that. buy it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard the plane flight thing before, so it makes sense that it's in connection to this. And I guess we still call this like era one point five because era two and three are still happening. It, I don't know if there's actually an official designation. Like, is this two? And now we go up to four. Uh, might have to consult Co- Coppermine for that one. Yeah, I- I'm not sure. I think that they're all like it. Definitely feels distinct enough, right, to be its own yeah, era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I think we can call it era two. Just, just fine. So, should we compare? Let's do some comparisons between our impressions of era one versus era two. Like, how had things changed? What was fresh? What came off well what maybe could you see people not liking as much so for me i think that the themes weren't necessarily as hard-hitting right in era two like you didn't have the ska uh as basically like you know forced indentured servants Mm. although you did kind of see some of that you didn't have like a street urchin that was um trying not to be killed you didn't have like uh somebody like a Kelsier character, right? So I think that some of the themes weren't as hard hitting. It was a little bit more light of a tone. You had kind of the buddy cop thing going on. And so I think that the theme of it was just kind of 
a little bit more fun and kind of like a fun romp through uh, Scadrial. Yeah, I think that the probably the biggest difficulty if you were a huge fan of Arrow 1, is that Arrow 1 is very much a lot of people's first foray into adult epic fantasy. And it really is epic fantasy on so many levels. Like over the course of that first trilogy, you know, it starts off with a revolution story that's relatively self-contained. But then over Mm -hmm. the course of the next two books, the, the scope of everything gets so big, you know, until it's like galactic or whatever you want to call book three. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for if we're spoiling like it gets god tier. <laughs> right, <it gets laughs> so, right? yeah, yeah. When you when you're when you're jumping into this book, I think that probably just the biggest warning is that this is an entirely different genre of fa- or subgenre of fantasy, if you want to call it that. Um yeah. I, I I've called it steampunk. I've I've had debates about that, but it is most definitely really action focused and it's not really epic fantasy, especially with just alloy of law. It is like yeah. some kind of weird combination between mm-hmm. like Western and Batman and um I don't know, burn notice. Like it's got really like yeah. camp level humor. Yeah. Mm. And and it's interesting because it has all that with the subtext of epic fantasy, right? Yeah. Because it's built on a world it's it's as if like sanderson's playing like a like a tabletop game on his own like creation you know what i mean like where he has like (laughs) all this stuff built up that he can kind of just like throw around and play with yeah all the background and lore is the is the epic fantasy that happened before exactly and the and the subtext of all of the major events of the first trilogy are are sort of seeded throughout this one with little hints of it and like at the very end of this book we get a pretty big revelation where it's like oh this this is not as separate as you may have initially assumed from this uh, era yeah, one where yeah. it's like, Oh, it's, it is almost like a D and D campaign where there is this established backdrop where he's telling a yeah. different story, but all of those mm-hmm. elements are still pretty core to the, the, the behind the scenes B plot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And so for that reason, like it worked really well for me. And I think that, especially with like bands of mourning and the lost metal I'm assuming is going to make it like a little bit more epic, you know, as, as you can go along. So I am excited for those books to kind of come out and, and really bring era two into kind of more of an epic fantasy. Quick question, Ben, is this your first reading? Have you just read Alloy of Law? No, I'm similar to Steven. I wrote, I read these all, uh, well, probably after Steven, I probably read them in 2015. Uh, and then as part of my Sanderson catch-up phase, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm circling back to them. So nice. Uh, yeah, honestly, all I remember is Bands of Morning gets more epic and big Cosmere, and I think there were some theories that it's going to tie into Stormlight Five, uh, and, and so I need to. I mean, Stormlight Five is is really what I'm most excited for in terms of Sanderson's upcoming stuff. So I, I'm really hoping for some big things there. Yeah. And that does bring up its own problems, right? Like it's very hard to like expect people to expect kind of casual fans to make all these transitions, right? Like you're transitioning from epic fantasy to steampunk and then kind of fading back into epic fantasy. And so I th- one of the reasons why I like Sanderson as an author is because he expects a lot from his readers at some level to like kind of come along for this, right? But yeah. it is going to be like... For example, my father-in-law is a very casual Sanderson fan. Like he's taken, like he started Rhythm of War right when it came out and he's still not finished with it because he only reads like on his free time, you know? So mm-hmm. it's it's very hard for, um, I think, the casual fans to kind of go on this ride with us. Yeah, how does that work? Hey. <laughs> how, how are you just a casual fan of that, you know? Can't, yeah, does that? 
like the difficulty arises because a lot of people make comparisons between the Cosmere and the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe each of the movies especially as you moved into whatever the phases of of that as you approached Endgame and Infinity War each of those movies was almost a different genre of its own right yeah and it was a similar thing but with movies you have a two-hour commitment with Brandon Sanderson's (laughs) series you have these huge books that are all in different worlds with different magic systems and uh-huh. i i think that now that we're approaching stormlight four and five they are coming together in a way where if you want to read the avengers series of stormlight it really really behooves it's really really helpful to have yeah. read the other pieces mm-hmm. which can be more difficult and is more of a it's it's more of an ask when they're different genres and completely different subtexts and you don't know how they're going to tie together it's it's a lot but it's rewarding if you like it. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, I'm kind of nervous because I've read like a few sci-fi books, but I'm not the biggest sci-fi guy. And so I am nervous about like the direction that this is all heading, right? Like, I don't know how well, because that's something Sanderson hasn't really even proved yet is how well he can actually write sci-fi. So, and that's kind of spoiler, I guess. slowly transitioning into it with with the Skyward books and with some of the secret projects, like the flavors we're seeing there. seems like he's kind of like practicing for for Mistborn Era 3 or two and i've sort of made the joke before that sanderson's magic systems in his fantasy are so hard and so complicated that they feel more like science fiction in a lot of ways than a lot a lot of like modern science fiction um and have you have you actually read skyward i've read yeah i haven't read cytonic yet no i I haven't read cytonic or or those novellas but the thing about skyward is that it's a sci-fi series but it still has enough magical elements that his Uh sci-fi series almost feels more magic and fantasy that's a good point yeah Yeah. especially some of those parts in rhythm of war where you're just like reading a textbook on stormlight (laughs) yeah you were reading science from a different Uh world (laughs) yeah so not to spoil anything there but yeah so it is kind of an interesting ask for readers like i could not even being like i would say like a pretty big fan i still couldn't tell you like which of wayne's powers come from like furukami or come from alamancy you know what i mean like so even like here like he's kind of mixing and matching and, and i you mean don't i have feel to like you, i feel like it, you but... could you you could you could tell those apart yeah okay uh, so uh, the the time the time manipulation is time from manipulation and healing okay yeah, the, the healing is from furukami okay i mean yeah what 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 metal do you burn to give to like slow down uh, time though yeah it's a uh, bend alloy is his time metal but yeah. that doesn't really does that appear in that doesn't appear in era one right it's that's kind of just found, it's like an, yeah, yeah. I, so yeah. Th- that's i guess that's another big thing is is the changes from mistborn era one to mistborn era two are are huge in a lot of ways like you go from it being like an epic fantasy that ends yeah. up god tier and then the God tier stuff sort of changes everything. And now you're in a weird mm-hmm. industrial revolution phase where a yeah. lot of things have been discovered. A lot of things have been lost or twisted with history. And so you are getting, you're getting new metals. You're getting new combinations of powers. The lack of Mistborn in the Mistborn series is, yeah, uh, I think it's a risky move, but I think that what you get in, and of course you're getting new powers because there's metals we didn't know about, but what you're getting in Mistborn Era 2 
while you're also getting guns added because of the, the mm -hmm. technological revolution, you are also getting a huge limitation of the magic system because yes. by the end of book three in Era One, I, I'm really bad with the names, but by the end of book three of Era One, the the Mistborns themselves are so powerful that they can, I mean they're literally wiping out large swaths of armies by themselves yeah and this forces everything to be focused down to well the max powers people have is two and they can combine yeah. to do weird mm -hmm. interesting combinations but yeah. the thing that but the thing that i've loved about sanderson is that even though his magic systems can be really complex um you mostly don't have to rem like i don't remember most of the time what metals do what powers but if you know hey this especially in this this person has these two powers this person has these two powers that's all you kind of have to remember and yeah. maybe it makes me uh, like a weaker sanderson fan but i'm okay just being like okay this is this superhero powers this is this yeah. superhero. <laughs> and it's right and they have like a few least. special moves that they pull out yeah, every now exactly. and then <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love that you hit on the limitations because that's something Sanderson talks about in his lectures and is obviously very mindful of. And, and I love it too, because like you said, at the end of Era 1, the Mistborns are way too powerful. And honestly, <laughs> like some of the fights are just kind of like skimming through like, okay, fight, 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 dead, dead, dead. Like, okay, yeah, I knew yeah. that the Mistborn was going to prevail. But here in The Alloy of Law, in my recent reread, I was, I was really into the fighting because it seemed like things could go badly like at any time like they, they were very limited in what they could do but yeah. wax and wayne were also very inventive and, and you know they they maximized their limited power set compared to the previous misborns and that just made it so much more interesting yeah i agree with that and i'm super glad that that uh kind of transition took place i'm also glad that it it yeah it forced it forced Sanderson to be more creative at the end of the day, you know? Uh, and he does kind of, he writes him. I feel like he forces himself to do that when he writes in these limitations. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so uh, one thing that's interesting is we've been talking around, like around all the set pieces and we haven't even like mentioned really the characters and that's, that's kind of telling of a lot of things, right? Like, I mean, there are two characters, they're interesting, but they're not like, the characters I think of when I think of Sanderson's works. So what do, what do you guys think about like Wax, Wayne, Steris, you know, like all these kind of characters that we're mm -hmm, actually reading about mm -hmm, during this mm -hmm. book? I know, Stephen, you get kind of annoyed by like yeah, Sanderson, well, Sanderson okay. humor sometimes. So like, <laughs> what do you think about like Wayne's like character? And Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I can jump in and kind of throw out my hot take. But, uh, you know, previously, I, I really disliked Wax and Wayne in my first read. I was like, Wax is way too perfect and obnoxious. And I just want to punch him in the face because he's just like this pillar of virtue and it's just annoying. And, and I thought Wayne was like, not that funny and just kind of also like wanted to punch him in the face for different reasons. But uh, I don't know, like maybe I've matured over the years and now I can recognize the more human elements of these characters. You've but... matured. So now you think Wayne's like potty humor is more funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's probably more in terms of I appreciate Wax better. Like I, that's the fair. trauma that he went through that set up right from the beginning, um, it, it really kind of sets up his character and it makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of time that passes and, and you can see, you know, this is something that really weighs on him and, and he, he struggles with a lot of things. So I, I don't know why I thought he was so perfect before. Like he is maybe still a little perfect and like never does anything wrong, but he's still like weighed upon by all these real human raw emotions. And, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Wayne, you know, I don't know. He was funnier than I remember him being like, there were some times where I was laughing 
and previously maybe I was just rolling my eyes. So yeah, maybe my humor has has immatured while my <laughs> human empathy has matured. <laughs> what did you think, Mike? Uh, yeah, so there, while there isn't as many com- complex deaths to some of these characters, I think that they're interesting like looks into common character archetypes, I guess. And like you have you have Wayne who is ridiculous and silly and i i also sometimes think that sanderson's humor is uh, how do i put it nicely he thinks he's funnier than sometimes i think he is yeah I and agree. so and, and like the way he tells yeah. his jokes almost feels that way with wayne uh-huh. i feel like it's so over the top and we're in a, a context where it's it's actually a lighthearted story so it's more okay for you to have a character that as both like stupid on purpose but also like Wayne's Wayne's backstory is interesting yeah. because Wayne has this backstory where he is mm-hmm. the the comic relief, but he also has this this tragedy that happened in his past where Wax saved him from being hanged from committing a murder, and he has to deal with the guilt of that. Mm-hmm. And then Wayne uh, Wax Wax is the archetype of you know brooding guy who he is like a little bit of a paragon he's a little bit of a batman character yeah where, yeah you know he comes from wealth he leaves to try to do things he comes back to wealth and yeah <laughs> very much like batman begins type story but instead of ninjas he's a you know texas ranger <laughs> and yeah but the 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 I, maybe it's just because i'm older but i also felt like his his character growth his character moodiness felt appropriate for the type of story that he was in it's interesting because you get to see him still have lighthearted banter with wayne even though you know that internally he's struggling with lots mm. of things like growing older what's his place in society as society changes what's the best way to fix it he has this code of being a lawman and what does that even mean in the context of of a budding society and going back into the the rich people society um like it's it's both not as deep in some ways, but I think it's one of the best executions of some common archetypes that I've seen, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. In terms of like Wax doing everything perfect, I think he does. So like, for example, like his handling of the whole Marcy and Sarah situation, not not good at all. You know, like he definitely like leads Marcy on while not like really having good reasons why he can't just be with her. And then at least in that, like, I'm not going to spoil anything in the future, but I was pretty annoyed with Wax there. Uh, so you think, you think he should have just shut it down earlier. or accepted it, right? Like, I mean, I mean, mm. either way, uh, but like leading her on and pretending like he doesn't like know what she's thinking or like want to reciprocate the feelings or whatever. Like there's definitely some times there where you're like, you're not being fair to her, you know? So mm. He does what I mean, he does well. To he, be he's fair, a good law man, but to be fair, high stakes situations. Maybe, maybe he had other things that he had to deal with rather than, you know, deal That's with fair. the feelings of this girl I who mean, was. I, yeah. I, I guess, like, if I if I were to to approach it from my angle, is I don't think he actually knew until he sort of shut her down at the end that he had to shut her down at the end. I think that he was always thinking, oh, this wouldn't work because of this reason. This wouldn't work because of this reason. I think maybe the way that Sanderson handles it, it feels really awkward, but I can understand why he might not shut it down right away. I think he was also enjoying the admiration because, you know. Oh, for sure. He he didn't have that. He was still struggling with 
how do you approach romance in a post um, post lessy world yeah, post lessy world and so yeah. i i i don't know how he should have handled the situation but i do think that sanderson the way that he writes the story makes it really push like that's the romance that he wants to go for and yeah. so when it does end it feels really really um anticlimactic in a weird way just kind of shoehorned in there like oh and by yeah. the way this is the plot and i was like well yeah. if that's if that's going to be if that's going to be the way you're going to take the story, it does feel like you let it all. It's like a weird Chekhov's gun situation, but it, it yeah. amounts to nothing. It fizzles out. It's kind of like now that I think about it, and uh, I guess we, we said no spoilers for Stormlight, but there's this similar like almost love triangle thing that happens <laughs> yeah. in Stormlight. And oh, it's yeah, just yeah. like, thing. and there's just gone. It's just, yep. yeah. It's like, yeah. no, we're done. No, it's not happening. I don't Only care. Is... I, no fan. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to support the fandom having that theory. No, it's done. <laughs> It's like, yeah, only the it's it's on the the pace of Stormite, so it takes three books to get to that point, <laughs> yeah. and it's, you're just kind of like left hanging for a couple. Mm. Yeah, Sanderson's yeah. like, yeah. So we all know that he doesn't do romance the best. So yeah, he doesn't even really attempt for romance, and maybe he, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that would be an interesting question to ask him. So I, I'm sure someone has, but like, why is romance not a bigger focus of his books? It, yeah, I think that for one, it's probably not a big focus of his readership. You know, like I don't think anybody's picking up Stormlight. You know, expecting like. Well, a, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who really like romance in their in their fantasy books. Like, uh, I mean, Quoth and Denna like really kept me going in Name of the Wind. <laughs> well, that also had a few issues. So, uh, well, yes. yeah, I don't know. I think he just it's just not a like. I think he. Honestly, it's not just romance. A lot of times with interpersonal, like interpersonal relationships, sometimes he struggles with, especially in these books. I think that he understands individual characters really well and their motivations, but like when they have to like actually interact with each other, I think sometimes sometimes that struggles a little bit. Hmm. I think he definitely nails certain relationships better than others. Like I think the Wax Wayne dynamic is pretty yeah. good. Because I think he built them yeah. together, right? Like he yeah. built them thinking about how like the ways that they would like play off each other. Whereas others, like, for example, yeah, I don't want to spoil <laughs> anything, but he, okay. Like even like Vin and Kelsier, like there's some complex like character dynamics that happen with them that uh-huh. aren't fully realized because I don't think that he was like, uh, like honestly, like focusing on that dynamic while he was writing the books. Right. And does so, it seem like the wax uh, Marcy situation is kind of like a alternate flavor of Vin and Kelsier a little bit? I mean, I, I can definitely see that angle, yeah. but it's 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 less of a a direct father daughter type scenario. But yeah, I can definitely see that angle. Yeah, the, men- the mentorship with some, I guess the romantic feelings were a little more on the nose in Alloy of Law, whereas you know Ellen came along and kind of blew up anything that you know any kind of plot element in that direction pretty quickly yeah. in Miss Born yeah. One. I don't think that Vin ever thought that of. Thought, I don't think either of them thought that way of each other until like the third book when Ruin was trying to convince Vin that she felt that way at one point. Yeah. For Kelsier, <laughs> right. Like, anyway, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that like a lot of times you, you see like these awesome character dynamics that could happen. And a lot of times they're just not fully realized in, in a lot of Cosmere books, which I'm okay with because I, I love Cosmere for plot reasons and not like, if I want characters, I'll go read Abercrombie or somebody, you know, so it's just There's, different. Yeah, things. but Sanderson has he does have some really good characters. 
but maybe yeah maybe like you say it's the he has very cinematic characters right like and yeah i think like for example wayne has an awesome like backstory awesome you know like when you can really dive into his character deep and really figure out what makes him tick but again like his relationship with oh who's the who's the girl that makes the weapons uh renette oh yeah renette yeah she like it's just kind of yeah again like shoehorned in there like kind of okay like is anything gonna come of this you know there's just not much depth to any of like interpersonal characters here. yeah i, I think mm. when sanderson leans into character development it's very much in folk in like uh service of the plot he's yeah. very much a plot a plot focused reader and yeah character character depth is there when he when it's part of the plot and otherwise it's mm-hmm. not going to be as deep as a potential other book and it talks mm-hmm. he talks a lot about how much he outlines his books right and yeah. so it's it's really hard to outline character interactions right or like character dynamics with each other that's just kind of something that has to arise naturally i, I don't mm-hmm. know not I, people are gonna think i don't like sanderson like he's probably my top author by a large margin i just like you know there's we're just we're that, just trying to not fanboy yeah. too hard yeah <laughs> so that i don't know anything else to say about like the characters and how like that kind of side of things um we could kind of talk about some of these these plot elements i think that might be kind of a, a natural discussion to get us more into the plot since we all agreed that the plot was what sanderson cares about right yeah so i think the first kind of interesting decision he made with the plot was to show us like uh, Wax's time in the roughs and specifically like how mm. Lessie was killed by um, by Bloody Tan. So it's interesting because Sanderson uh, was very critical of the Wheel of Time TV show for a decision that they made that felt very much like um, like the situation that happened with Lessie right at the very beginning where nice uh, nice talking around the spoilers okay. yeah I didn't want to spoil yeah, for some yeah, reason I guess you didn't if watch people that. haven't watched the Wheel it of like time the first yet. episode I haven't seen it, it but I'm pretty sure I know what we're talking about <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's this you know concept that was talked a lot around that time about fridging characters which is basically specifically women right like you introduce a character only to kill them slash her off uh in favor of the development of a male character right so that's like so i wonder if he like first of all he handled it well in this book i think because it did really like eat up wax for a long time right and it was like a major defining point of his character so at least like i think you got that right but i wonder if he kind of took that some of the lessons he learned from this book and kind of carried him forward a little bit but i don't know what do you guys think about that kind of plot element of the book yeah, I brought that up on our Discord really just to kind of be contrary to see what people would say because uh, I, I think he does a good job with it. He allows plenty of time. It's something that continues to eat at wax. And if I remember correctly, it comes back as a pretty big plot element in the next yeah. book. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the details are there, so I can't really spoil that for myself. <laughs> uh, but uh, his criticism with the Wheel of Time was that there was no time for the character that got the development from the fridging to like get over what happened they were immediately just like shoved into the action and was supposed to develop as a character but they're dealing with all this trauma that they have no time to take care of uh and so he does that better here wax has the time to and and he's still obviously hurt you know months later right And, and that makes sense yeah and it did kind of cause him to leave the roughs right and go back to ellendale which is where yeah 
he needed to be for the for plot you know yeah i think when you're when you're talking about a uh, a story uh concept such as fridging it can be difficult and i think there's different there's different levels of how well it can be handled because I do think that there's some people who have different sensitivities who it's always going to bother them when a female character dies at the beginning of a story. But sure. as you mentioned, I think there are different levels of how well you can handle it. And I think one of them is how much effect it has, how much of a character that character was in the, in the world, whether we get uh-huh. to see it or not. Actually, I don't even know if it counts as a spoiler, but I read another story at the same time period when i read miss bernard too with a similar type of plot device where the wife character dies early on in the book but she was also pretty well fleshed out as an important character in the story Mm. and i think that there is the inevitability of this is one of the story archetypes that we have which is a uh, man loses his wife at the beginning of a story and i think that there is it's always an interesting story because it's something that people can relate to in real life yeah and it's also a very good way to have a character dramatically shift either location or attitude mm-hmm. in a way that in real life how do you how do you go, you know over time they say that we're different people every 10 years because we we change and we learn and we grow how do you That's, force yeah. a character out of his element super fast when you have a major character death and the as i, I don't know who all's married listening or or here on the panel but if you have the death of a spouse, you're going to have a major, probably life shift. And that's yeah. one way to, in a story to, to do that. I think that the way that Sanderson handles it in the story is, um, you know, it's, she was a very important character in the story. She's mentioned throughout the entire book. Um, uh-huh. And I think that um, that impact that it has on wax is important. I do think that there's still, there's still people that are sensitive to the topic that are not going to like that. They're not going to like the way that it was handled. And that's, that's fine. Like subjective art is subjective art. Sure. But as far as I took it, I thought it was not like, I thought it was pretty well done. And the way that it's handled in that prologue is also, yeah, it's, it's such a mystery hook where you're like, why the heck did this happen? Clearly it seems like this is a scenario these characters have been mm-hmm. in before something something was weird about this scenario and you're mm. wondering just as as wax is wondering throughout the whole story what went wrong okay so we just lost steven um i guess the power went out in his area so apologies for that i think before we lost him we were talking a little bit about how um lessie's death affected uh affected wax i think i don't know when did it cut off but i was kind of talking about how it also kind of hits every reader right in a different way, because I think we can all kind of have a situation where we say like, ask ourselves, like, how could this, how could we like God or whatever you believe in allow this to happen? Or like, if you don't believe in that, like how is the universe just so random that like things will work out like every time, like a hundred times. And then the one time it doesn't like, I end up killing the person I love. Right. Like it's a very visceral um, like response that anybody can have and that we just kind of see, um, like epitomized in, in wax. So I do like, I think that it was handled really well, but yeah, I think fridging will be problematic for some people anyway, you know? So that's kind of the way the book starts. What did you think about uh, kind of the, the driving vehicle was, was him trying to kind of deal with miles um, this kind of character that can't be killed. Uh, who's also kind of has these connections to the shady underground 
you know, network of villains. Like how, how did that work for you? Did you enjoy that um, kind of that set piece or what did you think about that? Yeah, I really enjoyed the the setting slash set piece that we got. And then the the revelations, like if because this is connected to Mistborn Erdogan and we know uh-huh. that the series is called Mistborn, um, the fact that there are no Mistborns made me wonder way before the characters actually address the fact like is is somebody trying to breed Mistborns again? Yeah. Um because it's 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 like, hey, we know these things existed in the past. Why are these people not concerned with why they aren't around anymore and so Mm. i thought that was a cool plot point i thought the like mystery of everything having to do with his uncle was interesting and um i I loved that it was sort of this westerny heisty thing that in a lot of i mean it's it's like train robberies yeah in a lot of ways it is very western but also you know they have magic powers where they can jump up and do time bubbles and stuff it it really really appealed to me (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah. It is super fun to see how all these things kind of um, work together. And it's funny because the moment that um, Mercy, like we kind of learned that she has a power that she's ashamed of. Like anybody that's read Sanderson, like you're like you're like you know you're already thinking like how is he gonna kind of like invent <laughs> a situation that like this power like saves the day, right? Yes. And then definitely fulfill those expectations with with Mercy's power. And, and all throughout, we get to see, like, Sanderson will tease something, and then you get to see cool ways that it gets. So sure. you find out that there's guns, and then you're like, well, in a world with Mistborns, guns may not have been as cool. But since people have less powers now, how do you make guns and magic be able to compete together? And I think he does that in a really cool way, especially with the main villain being able to essentially heal himself while lots of other people. You get to have gunfights in your in your fantasy story, which is yeah. not as common. And sure. I don't think that every author would be able to handle all types of action as well as it seems like Sanderson is able to here. I think the way that he handles the gunplay is really fun. And he, you know, he has <laughs> he has Wax use the gun as a propulsion device to yeah. like climb high places. He makes himself light and shoots himself as a way to blast himself away from things. He mixes the powers in the way that they do the speed bubble shot at the end where he bounces a yeah. bullet off of something. <laughs> oh, like he, He's like, I'm going to use this limited set of powers and I'm going to explore the full extent of that. And that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so interesting because you're like, oh, you're a coin shot. Like, why do you need to be good with guns? You know, yeah. but yeah, the, I mean, it just, it really is cool. Um, I loved when he was kind of playing around with like the rappel thing and like, yeah. oh, like how does this work? You know, like, yes. Oh man, yeah. Well, the, the world building idea is to build a gun that only uh, certain types of misborns can trigger, and then oh, have yeah. different bullets to trigger or to yeah, to like a revolver, and, like, and he can know. and he can switch yeah. to the appropriate shot of the revolver at the same time. Like all of that stuff is super cool and like it just really fun. Yeah, I I totally agree, Stephen. You made it back on. We were just talking about. Um, yeah, I I'm sorry, guys. I think there was a there's a storm outside. I got a power surge, and I just was dead for a bit. But <laughs> hopefully, we can kind of edit that back together. I'm, I'm sure the stuff without me was probably better than the previous <laughs> stuff. No, no, it, it's good. We were we were just we kind of moved on to talking about how um, the set piece of like Miles, uh, kind of um, how how much we enjoyed that, kind of like the heist nature and kind of how all that um played into it mm. so do you have any any thoughts on that steven the big the big climax scene uh you're, you're talking either, about the big climax the big climax are just like you know how like you know this is a western so like they are kind of chasing like the the 
one villain, right? Um, so I guess, did what do you think of Miles as like the big bad of the book? And what do you think about like his, like, you know, the plot mm-hmm. that involved breeding Alamancers and stuff? Like, did that all work for you? Yeah. Um, Miles was maybe a, a, a little bit of a stereotype in a villain. Like, you know, I didn't really buy into his brighter future type thing. Is like, it wasn't anything new. And he was definitely monologuing for extensive <laughs> stretches of his time on screen. So as a villain, uh, I've seen better than Miles, I, I, I have uh-huh. to say. But, but the set pieces were really cool. Um, I especially like the ball at the beginning I thought was really cool and um, and maybe you guys already went through that but I thought that was a great entry into the new powers and what could happen and then uh, there was the the bomb that the butler brought in and that was you know that was kind of another exciting thing so he really did a good job Sanderson did, did a good job of moving us from action piece to action piece as as he usually does um, the yeah. the climax especially was cool and the actual use of the cadmium I think is the is the metal that uh Marisi can use like yeah that was cool especially that, yeah. since yeah. It, yeah it hints sooner that it's could be useful in some situations and so as a reader you're trying to think like okay how could this thing be useful and then it it, it is cool like uh, that was one thing that i remembered from my first read I, I remembered there was something cool that he did with the metal that seemed useless and <laughs> Yeah, it, it works. Um, yeah. My favorite part, and sorry, I've been going on for a while. I guess I'm making up for the time where I was <laughs> out and you guys spoke. But uh, I think my favorite part of the whole thing was when uh, there was that moment when Harmy spoke to Wax when yeah. he was, like, when, when things were looking really down. Did you guys already talk about this? No, not yet. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated that because it kind of jives a bit with like my you know, I guess, look at the world or kind of, you know, into some like religious looks at the world is like, you know, people are here to like help each other. And, and, and Wax is saying, you know, God, why has this happened? And, and, you know, these terrible things are happening and no one's here to help him. And, and Harmony says, well, you know, you're here and you can help. And, and, you know, why don't you do something? And I sent you and that really just kind of jives with my view on the world. And so I I thought that was cool. That's a pretty hardcore moment. Yeah, that was a pretty hardcore yeah. moment, especially when he's like getting just kicked like the, <laughs> the, you know, just, yeah, holy cow. You're like, what is happening? Is my main, is the like main character going to die right now? So yeah, it was a, that was a hard hitting moment. And I love how, I love how his, the thing that ended, Harmony ended up sending to save him was his like uh, box with his like Miss Cloak and his guns in it. That was really cool too. Like how he had kind of made a point of like, shelving all that at the beginning of the book and kind of like saying this isn't who i am anymore and then it kind of ends up coming back and and saving him so that was that was interesting did, what did so what i mean you mentioned harmony there like what did you think about like harmony's involvement in the story like that's definitely a callback to era one and the cosmere as a whole right and kind of sets maybe like a precedent of how uh kind of shards can interact with just normal characters when stakes aren't right high you know it's so weird it's a weird dynamic and we still get to see you know say zed's personality come out there's this way of speaking is still the same which is pretty cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and it's like okay and and then you have to wonder based on the conversation that he has like how much does he have control and he talks about how he has to have balance 
and mm-hmm. um you know his messenger mentions yeah. the way that things have to be balanced and be done a certain way like what does that even mean um and you know that all the shards you don't want to go into too much other cosmic stuff but you know the sure. shards are different and so the way that harmony is dealing with situations based on the fact that you know in this one we find out he's sort of balancing these two other forces it's like mm-hmm. what yeah. can he do and what yeah. does he want to do like what is he what is he, go, what is yeah. he going for yeah, and those are and definitely themes that are explored throughout this too, you know, like not just in this book. And it has some huge implications for the next Stormlight book when you talk about who's holding a shard and what's the intent of the shard versus what would this person, like what is their nature? I, yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. Yeah. So, and yeah, I do I do appreciate um, kind of that interaction. I don't know, there's, that's, it goes back to how we were talking about like he's able to like pull these moments off because of the foundation that was laid in Miss Mistborn Era One. So I think I think we're at time. I mean, I I missed some of where you were at, but uh, I think yeah. we I think we covered I, everything. Yeah, I think we covered it. So we we kind of maybe this can end it, Michael. I don't know if we told you about this. A lot of times we do a segment called the best, the worst of the best, which is basically like something that like uh, an awesome scene or an awesome moment that and maybe like nitpick it like find one thing that it didn't love about it um so maybe you can take like a few minutes to think about it while okay. maybe steven and i do it steven if you don't want to do this we don't have to but uh, i have one let's give it a I shot this is this is really just like a fun way to shoehorn in like one or two more things that we yeah. didn't get to talk about throughout the course of the natural conversation and we see how we can like do some mental gymnastics to make it fit into this worst of the best framework. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. Okay. So, Ben, lead us off. Show them how it's done. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So, first of the best. So, for me, I really loved uh, Mercy as a character, but sometimes I would get annoyed with her kind of modern takes on policing, right? Like her like statistical analysis or like her, I don't know, just kind of these things that are clearly like a modern like interpretation. And sometimes it, it did break the immersion for me a little bit. A lot of times Anderson is able to pull this off without like making you think that you're like, like without having you forget that you're reading a fantasy book. But for me this time, I, it did make me think I was she, like listening to a podcast or something during some of these moments. She drops an actual sociological theory, like a, like a modern day, yeah. you know, from the sixties, an uh-huh. actual theory. Like most of the time Sanderson does try to find a way to right. have the characters come up with it based on their own world. And the character might come up with the theory, but they use the name of the theory from our world, which feels really weird. Yeah. And so like, maybe I could, was it, was it like confirmation bias or I feel like it was confirmation bias. There is confirmation bias, but there's something. There's also like the 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 broken window theory or whatever. Oh right, right. Where it's like what like 
where you walk past a broken window, like it's really hard for the first window to be broken. But once that happens, then like it gives a crowd. Yeah, if, if it oh, ever looks yeah, crappy, yeah, right, it'll stay yeah, crappy right. and get worse. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So stuff like that, I was like, I don't know. And maybe it was just because this was more of a rush project where he wasn't too concerned about that, and he just wanted to kind of get these ideas across. But it just that kind of broke my immersion a little bit. But I really did like her as a character, as like this uh like woman who is trying to go in and shake up like the establishment of of how things were done in policing and kind of be a force for good so i really liked like that whole side of her character you know this is 340 years after miss born ever one i totally believe that guns could be developed i doubt people are taking the time to like think about like statistical theory in that in that <laughs> period of time and apply it to policing work so that's kind of where i'm at with that I, I guess if I were to, to, to name anything, it, it's just a more general version of the same thing, which is that Sanderson likes to try to think of the realism of his worlds and what would happen if this happened in his world. And as technology mm-hmm. advanced, what would that do to society? The problem is that he, he brings up ideas like, oh, how would policing change if, if this went down this way? How, if you had magic, would it change the way that technology works? Would you even have trains? Would you even have all these things? And he he likes to to break open the topic and he yeah. likes to throw out a couple ideas and then never broach <laughs> them again, which in a story where, you know, Wayne is making butt jokes and like stealing yeah. things from people and calling it trading. It's weird that you would even open up the, the Pandora's box of some of the subjects that he opens up that could be really mm. uh complex and controversial. And he, mm-hmm. he, he mentions them. So then you're there in your head but then he doesn't actually talk about them very much. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, why did you even bring that up? Why don't we just shoot more things instead? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if we went deep enough, you should have maybe ignored it or maybe you should have went deeper either one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Some thematic, some half big thematic stuff going on. Yeah. And yeah. it does kind of get explored more as you, like, especially I'm in the middle of the second book like kind of these uh, interactions between the populace and, mm-hmm. and the government. And, like it does get explored more, but it, it was, it felt kind of out of place. And Miss Bernero one is sort of the same thing where he wants to, mm. he wants to approach the idea of revolutions and societal change in a certain way. And then he'll try to give some of the, the complex uh, elements, some of the complexity they deserve, but then yeah. he'll, he'll be like, well, but I am telling a fantasy story. So <laughs> yeah but we yeah exactly but we do need an army of coloss that we can go kill you know whenever we want yes yeah 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 well one more on that have mike have you read uh driver crombie's age of madness have you, have you gone into him he's it's a similar i mean i won't do spoilers but uh he does not pull any punches in the themes and his kind of steampunk same type of era um in, in technology and everything and it's very much like let's examine what a revolution would actually look like and yeah. what, you know, these crazy rabble of people would end up doing. And, and if you compare, like it's a pretty stark comparison with how, yeah. um, <laughs> how, how deep the themes are. So sure. yeah. Shout out Joe Abercrombie, my, uh, my, my <laughs> second favorite. Fantasy that's like one right of now. my authors of shame is I haven't actually read any Abercrombie. What I very, say to people, very different, very different. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with Steven. They're probably my top two, but I can, I don't have to prepare myself mentally and emotionally to read Sanderson's books. 
I do have to do that to read <laughs> job or comedy. It has it has to be like I have to be in like a headspace to yeah, to yeah. survive his books. So yeah, no no punches are pulled. Um, my worst of the best. Maybe I'm just kind of confused about this, but if Alloy of Law was supposed to be a standalone thing, why did he set up so many hooks in the book? Like set, having Harmony come in and not really understanding what the relationship is there. Uh, maybe that one's not as strong, but. Uh, but having Marsh come in at the end and having this like mention of Trell at the end, which still is something that we don't know too much about. If I remember correctly, I don't think that has really been resolved super hard yet. I think that's more of like a book four thing. I just think it's weird that, you know, I, I love the like the big ideas and the hooks and stuff, but what was his plan for these things if not to write more books in this era? Well, yeah. maybe maybe he was setting up for like era three, you know, kind of like these. Yeah. Ideas. Like these were the things that were going to carry over into a hundred years later era. Yeah. I think Sanderson probably, if you want to pick a pretty, pretty obvious weakness that he has is that he likes to tell stories too much. And <laughs> he, he like, he, and I, and I, I love the books, but he can't stop starting new things to yeah. the to the to the potential detriment. We don't know. He's still writing books, and he still seems to be hitting deadlines. But <laughs> at some point, he's gonna have to stop starting new projects if he wants to finish some of his other projects. And he, he acknowledges yeah. it all the time. But then he he wrote four books over quarantine that he wasn't supposed to write. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, he does a state of Sanderson, right? Where he kind of like lays out like his whole plans for the next 30 years. And then he kind of, yeah, can't help himself. He just yeah. throws it out the window. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which I mean, do what you want to do. But yeah, it, I don't really believe him when he says this is only going to be a spinoff thing or this is only gonna be whatever. Uh, you never know with the guy. Yeah, that's true. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Thank you, Mike, for coming on apologize for my technical difficulties I, i'm really not <laughs> sure exactly but you know we'll get we'll get something together people understand remote remote podcasting is never super clean uh not the first time not the last time anyway um if you want to chat with us more you can jump on our discord that's probably the best way to get into some of these conversations and uh mike what's the best way for people to find you interact with you uh what, what would you say what's your pitch yeah uh i think if uh you just look for michael nip it's it's you know k-n-i-p-p is my last name um you can find me on youtube and uh, i'm on twitter under the same thing awesome yeah thanks again michael i really appreciate you coming thank you for on. having me this was yeah. fun yeah and maybe when you know the last medal is coming out we'll we'll make sure to reach out and i want to hear your thoughts on it so <laughs> that'd be fun yeah definitely definitely let's do something again all right we'll see you guys all right see you